I'm Trent Alexander-Arnold. I'm Curtis Jones. I am Cody Gagbo. Putting on the Liverpool top for the first time, it was a dream come true and I'll never forget that moment. Pre-order the new LFC 24-25 season Nike home kit now. You can pre-order it today for delivery from the 16th of May at your official LFC stores. Online at liverpoolfc.com forward slash store and on the official LFC store app. You will never walk alone. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio, with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to World Cup Daily. It is me, Guy, again, Dave. Couldn't be asked. So what we'll go with. Couldn't be asked. But he has been at the doctors with his knees, so we'll let him off. But we are adding at least 48 hours to his lateness score, Cal. Yeah, I think we'll have to start measuring uh, his absence in World Cup added on time. So days then? Yeah, basically. Absolute days, yes. Uh, but yeah, you should... Well, I say, I said that in the last one. We don't know when he'll be back. Hopefully he watches the games tomorrow, then he can be on tomorrow's ball. The day after's pod, technically. But hey, anyway, we'll get into the games. Um, yeah, Carl, we were wrong about what are, what are these games. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, so, yeah, I think so was everyone else in the world, I believe. Yeah, pretty much. I think this is uh, shock number one uh, of this tournament, and I don't think it'll be supplanted as a first place shock, let's say, across the whole tournament. Maybe it will, but this was a huge one, I think, judging by... Uh, rankings and previous form and all the rest of it. Some of the uh, stats guys have suggested that this is the biggest shock in World Cup history, Saudi Arabia beating Argentina. Um, Immense, I will say that. Absolutely superb second half performance in particular from Saudi Arabia. A few things before we get into the game itself. I think that the atmosphere at this game was, at least over the televisions, let's say, uh, was the best at the World Cup so far by an absolute mile second half. Argentina, wow, dismal. So, so poor in that second need, half. Need to learn the offside rule. <laughs> well, I mean, that, I mean, I, I have some sympathy for Lazaro's disallowed goal because that that's what we would normally term a perfect run from the forward. You're onside, you're behind the for, uh, defender, but you're leaning, obviously. That's your momentum of your run. And that stupid shirt sleeve really annoys me, I have to be honest. So, um Harsh on him, I think that's a very, very disappointing one. But overall, what did they do second half? They fed it wide to Di Maria about 7 million times and basically did nothing else at all. Very, very poor on their part. Saudi Arabia, unbelievably good. Uh, we'll get to the other games as well quickly, but my, my general feelings were Denmark and Tunisia, a bit more fight club than football match, uh, it felt at times. Mexico and Poland, lots of intent, but not that much final third quality. And then, obviously, the last game of the day, quality told, I think, is the kindest way to to put that one. 
Yes, yes. Uh, but I, I, we can kind of skip over the two nil nils because I wasn't apart from being up a chore, which I definitely will do. But I mean, sticking oh, yeah. with the sticking with Argentina. I mean, you mentioned giving the ball to Di Maria, but the midfield just looked empty most of the times. Mm. Like I can't, I can't remember who started with Paredes and Rodrigo de Paul. Yeah, Rodrigo de Paul. I mean, Rodrigo de Paul is obviously kind of. I think he came in somewhat similar time. Of, and Martinez in goal, didn't he? And he got bigged up in the group. And uh, maybe it's just the lack of. I don't think he's been playing too much out late, or he certainly hasn't been bigged up in that way. Maybe that's taken it toll or something like that. But he just seemed crap. Well, crap today. I know most of them did, but considering he's seen as one of the big improvements, you mentioned Di Maria there. I thought he was awful. Messi, well, it wasn't very good to his standards, but. I don't think anyone was, but yeah, you're right there. There just seemed to have no structure other than hoping Di Maria did something. Considering you have Lionel Messi on the pitch, that that's wrong in itself. Yeah, not ideal, is it? Let's be honest. Uh, I mean, like they gave themselves the, the quite a clear way to play in the first half in terms of breaking that line with the through balls through the centre. They didn't really do that second half. There was not very much quick combination play. The restarts were really, really slow and they got free kicks. And, and let's be honest, there's not a lot of pace in that front line either I think that that was a mm-hmm. quite a noticeable thing like Messi obviously used to be lightning and on the ball he's still very quick feet but he's not you know 30 yards sprinting anymore Lautaro's not the quickest Papa Gomez and Di Maria are not rapid either uh, so that was quite a notable thing about their attack I think that that was uh, quite significantly lacking but you're absolutely right De Baal I thought it was an absolutely empty shirt I thought when um uh, Enzo Fernandez was coming on in the second half. I thought it was probably the pole going off, and it was Paredes. I couldn't believe it. Like obviously he wasn't doing huge amounts defensively, so maybe it was to try and take him off for that. But it was on the ball. I thought Paredes was okay, and Depaul fairly horrible to be honest. It was very very slow, and directional play was not great from him. Not very impressed with him at all. Probably worth pointing out since we're talking about Argentina midfield, one of their big uh, injury losses pre-tournament was Giovanni Lo Celso, who yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, if you watched him at Spurs, obviously he didn't really make that much of an impression, but very, very good in Spain and has become a really big part of Scaloni's uh, Argentina midfield. So worth noting that, but one player is not an excuse for this kind of result. This was a team-wide failing on one side and a team-wide rising above everything they have done previously on the other side. So massive, massive um, props to Saudi Arabia, I think, and for the fans and the stadium uh, uh, atmosphere that they generated, the work rate from um, uh, Salam Aldasari in particular that goal was probably the goal of the tournament at that point um, I would imagine probably were, uh, worth saying and I think at least three of those defensive players must have got about 900 blocks in each each. so it was uh, very very committed obviously something once you've got hold of which is everything that you want is basically going to put your body on the line and do whatever it takes obviously someone Paid a bit of a price there with uh, Owais putting his knee through his chin. I can't remember who it was. Oh, it God, yeah. Just at the moment. Yeah. But that was uh, that aside and the 77 million minutes of injury time which ensued thereafter, what a game that was. What, a, what an ovation they got at the end and very, very much deserved. Yeah, this uh, I think this felt like the maybe the start of the World Cup, whereas like the first bit of... Bit of excitement because there was just a shock. Because <laughs> I think every other game was just like, yeah, when is when is expected? Or is yeah, well, I mean, like, we we spoke about this yesterday, right? I mean, with England and with the big result, but we say it didn't really feel like that much happened. And I said, like, if England have come 
a bit later on in the tournament for their first game after a couple more of the big ones had played. And we'd had this kind of shock result for Argentina already against Saudi Arabia, who are obviously another Asian side. And then England went out and beat another Asian side who did well to qualify by that scoreline that they did. It would be seen as a bit different, I think. Um, so I do think yeah. you're absolutely right. It's taken something untoward to make it feel like this is the proper start as such and things are happening from now. Because even like the knock-on into the Denmark-Tunisia match, if we move on to that one, mm-hmm. you could you could see really that maybe the Tunisian side started maybe more um, on the front foot and aggressive-minded in terms of attacking play and all the rest of it, then maybe they would have otherwise. It's not a definite knock-on effect, but it's got to obviously boost the lesser-fancied nations that this is the World Cup, anything can happen. If you If you make it happen, things can go absolutely mad on the world stage, so go for it. Yeah, and that's the thing. We'll move on to Denmark, Tunisia. I mean, we can't big up Saudi Arabia and other players enough, but I don't know any of them by name. So I can't. I can obviously just go on the list of goal scorers and stuff like that. But it's really good that they've made a name for themselves. I'm pretty sure they said all their players still play in Saudi Arabia in the commentary. I might be wrong on that. But it, maybe that's a ploy, obviously, to keep them all in Saudi Arabia for the time being. But if they, they've clearly given them a name, name for themselves. So if they do get markets from Europe and stuff like that. They've certainly done that well. But we'll move on to Denmark, Tunisia. You mentioned there, Tunisia were quite good. The game didn't ever really spark, apart from the odd referee. I wouldn't, I wouldn't controversy is the wrong word, but just moment of decision. I think, was this the one where he went to the monitor and didn't overturn it? That was basically the yeah, most exciting <laughs> bit. Yeah, the very, very late non-penalty uh, I agree. This one, it lacked a little bit of something, didn't it? There was a little bit missing in terms of maybe final third quality or the final ball. There was a couple of half chances, but nothing you could say was absolutely unbelievable. Have to score that chance. Other than uh, Mr. Nine-foot-tall Andreas Cornelius contriving to miss yes. pretty much all of the ball from all of one yard out. That should have been a goal, obviously. Absolutely. Um, and another one that didn't really spark into life was Mexico-Poland. Uh, obviously, Everyone knew Ochoa was saving the penalty. Naturally. Obviously, of course. Um, well, you, you told everybody. So, I yeah. did. Absolutely. I said it in a WhatsApp as well. As soon as it got given, <laughs> I was like, never been more confident in my life. This is getting saved. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, Mexico played quite well, especially in the first half, but they just didn't have that goal threat up front. Whereas yeah. Poland were awful the first half, grew into a bit the second half, but... I'm not sure how what formation they played whilst qualifying and stuff like that. And if you do, please correct me. But playing three at the back and then they had, I think, ITV or wherever it was, had it listed as Zielinski up top with Lewandowski. Like, Milik exists for this, doesn't he? He just exists for these tournaments to play next to Lewandowski. What, I mean, you would weird? think so, yeah. I mean, usually they would play uh, Zimanski just off Lewandowski and it would be a three... And then Zalewski would be the left wing back and Cash the right wing back, but it's you know it's a pretty flex- flexible on and off the ball system. Um, I, as I said in the in the pre-match pod, I'm not really that keen on this Poland setup, even though some mm-hmm. of the individuals within it I do think are good and I do quite like watching them play at club level. But it's a little bit stodgy, isn't it? It's a bit it's a bit overly agricultural at times in terms of their build-up play. It's a bit one-dimensional. I do think they've got. Yeah, it is. I think they've got better players there than they're allowing them to play. And I think it would be a bit more likely that they would win some of these games, which are very, very tight, if they actually did play a little bit more on the front foot and a little bit more 
uh, expansive build-up play, commit a couple of more players forward. I mean, the number of times that they did get sort of wing-backs or wingers, whichever one you want to call them, into high areas, and they were looked to deliver across. And it's Lewandowski in there and nobody else. It's it's yeah. a little bit pointless at times, you know, especially, like you say, Milik, unused on the bench. Frankowski is obviously quite out of experience at this level as well. Krasinski could have played. There's quite a few of them there they could have turned to or even just play Zielinski right off him, as he has done previously, or Zimanski right alongside Lewandowski. He does thrive if you don't allow two or three defenders all to mark him. That's what I find. One mm-hmm. one man is not always capable of overhauling three. So do something about that. Uh, yeah. I agree that Mexico were the better footballing side. I think uh, Alexis Vega was probably one of the standout performers, left-hand side for them. Lots and lots of good movement and creativity about him, a bit of invention, just a bit wild and not all that good with his final decision-making of when to take the shot on and so on. But I, I think Mexico have probably got enough to go through, but I will obviously qualify that by reminding myself that they're not in the group that I thought that they were yesterday. <laughs> That's true. At least you remember. But that, I mean, that group's blown wide open now because of Saudi yeah. Arabia, obviously. So I think... With them drawing, Saudi only have to win one more game to go through, if I'm not mistaken. So, well, they could just one more draw might be enough, depending true, on obviously the true. other results. But I guess there's no uh, no real reason yeah. for them to fear anybody now, is there? Yeah, I think that was almost a a result of the one. I think it was just too tight. Where maybe they, if if Argentina just tonk them, you just go, well, we can risk it here because well. We could maybe be, pick something up against Argentina or all beat Saudi Arabia. So now it's just wide open, whereas Argentina now have to win both games, basically. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that's going to be interesting. But finally, before we move on to, is it today's games yet? Half an hour. Tomorrow's game still. Um, we have France-Australia. Australia take the lead. I was thinking everyone at the same time was asking the question, is this, is, is this a bigger <laughs> shock than Saudi Arabia? Then Mbappe said no. <laughs> um but yeah, I think you mentioned it in the roundup bit there, didn't you? Quality just told. I think Australia probably did better than everyone expected, but Mbappe is a freak. Giroud, t- did he tied the record for France? Did he? Yeah, he called it. Yeah. Yeah, so just efficient goal scoring, and you've got Griezmann and Dembele just there for vibes at this point. So <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I, I thought Germany was excellent. I thought Griezmann. Yeah. Yeah, obviously Griezmann didn't have anything in terms of the, the final pass or the shots, but I thought he was brilliant today, picking up positions everywhere between the lines all the time. Always gave them an extra man to play those little triangles that they had. He mm-hmm. was just superb. This is this is why Deschamps loves him and always mm-hmm. always plays him in that sort of floating ten role. He can do whatever he wants. Sides of midfield, up alongside Giroud and beyond him, he's just such a really really good connector for them. Mbappe was a joke, let's be perfectly honest. I, I do feel half admiring and half sorry for uh, Nathaniel Atkinson, who was the Australia right back, because it was quite early on. Oh, he was given the absolute, <laughs> yeah, it was it was a bit of a runaround at times, and he was he was subbed late on, obviously, but not really much you can do when a, a, a player of that caliber just decides, you know, what, I'm, I'm having a good game today, and that's the end of it, and that's just kind of what happened, isn't it? They did, did blow them away a little bit. Um, one very disappointing thing to note, Lucas Hernandez obviously gone off yeah, yeah. early, injured. He's done his ACL. So that's a, a dismal one for him for the World Cup, for, for Bayern Munich as well. He oh, yeah. obviously lost a couple of players, uh, Sadie Mane and one or two others beforehand as well. So 
very, very disappointing for him, although it does mean we will see Theo Hernandez at left-back, who should have been there in the first place, did he? Very true, very true. And, uh, well, maybe Pavard out for Kunde as well, so as Pavard went, forgot how to defend for a little bit there. Yes. Uh, Quick uh, thoughts on uh, Mr Canate? Didn't have loads to do, but he dealt with it well. I thought he yeah. was more controlled than Upamecano, which is kind of a given at this stage. Yeah. The the bits I've seen of Upamecano, who is a bit mental. But no, I think unless unless he just wants to keep Upamecano left centre-back and bring Varane back in, I don't see any reason why Kanata wouldn't be the one to stay in. So, yeah, yeah. Um, very good. Decent. Let's hope he gets more game time. Absolutely, well, not too much because if he gets, no, 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 I, will, no, no. I will fight Deschamps. Um, <laughs> he's due, he's due a scrap. Um, but we'll move on to tomorrow's today's game, games, I should say. Um, first up at ten o'clock, we have Morocco, Croatia. I'll just list these first. Uh, then at one, we have Germany, Japan. Four, we have Spain, Costa Rica. Uh, Brian Ruiz, please do business. And then at seven, we have Belgium, Canada. So I think these are, well, I think we said yesterday we're all, <laughs> all a bit predictable in the world. So this one should be interesting. I mean, I think you, was it you or Dave? One of you mentioned that Croatia may be a bit of a sleeper team, obviously coming into the tournament in good form. Mm. Um, I know nothing of Morocco other than the fullbacks <laughs> um, and their guard at West Ham, but I'm guessing Croatia are the favourites, but I think Morocco are one of the more established African teams. Obviously, Ghana's a lot of question marks and stuff like that, and Senegal with injuries. I'm guessing Morocco seem a bit more set. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I do like this Morocco team. I, I'm a little bit wondering how they're going to play now, because I expected Saudi Arabia to sit quite deep and compact, and they had the highest line I think we've seen at the entire World Cup. So I'm now questioning everything i ever known about football. Their manager uh, saw Paul Watson was like, that's it, boys. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, I, I do like this Morocco side, and I think they're very well set up in general. And they have three or four players who are match winners or stop losers, whichever way you want to look at it for them. The the fullbacks you mentioned, Akimi Mizrawi, really, really good, really important. Um Bono in goal is a I won't say he's a very good goalkeeper, but he's a very athletic goalkeeper. He's really good in terms of Mad- like reaction potential. Yeah, a little bit. Is is sometimes I think he does very simple things very poorly. And I, I don't think he's like a Champions League caliber goalkeeper. He's the severe goalkeeper. So people yes. will have seen him. Um, but yeah, very athletic, really good reflex saves, very good in terms of one-on-ones, making himself big and all the rest of it. Up front, they have players who can either be really, really good and click or do absolutely nothing for like a month at a time. Like Yusuf in the series, they're basically number nine. You might have Sofiane Buffal behind who we've seen in the Premier League, obviously. Oh, yeah. Ziyech, we know. So all of those players are really technically very, very good, creative, all know where the goal is. Also all know how to go, like I say, for a good month without doing absolutely anything at all. Croatia, I mean, the midfield that they have there is genuinely elite, and that is what they rely on a huge, huge amount. There's a bit of regeneration now in the defensive line. There's decisions to be taken there, whether they play Gvadi or centre-back or left-back. If they play Mm -hmm. him centre-back, one, it means Borna Souza will play left-back, which is a good thing. But two, it also means Dejan Lovren probably won't play centre-back, which is a good thing. So, Especially if you know, yeah. So, I mean, like, it feels like that's the obvious solution is to play Gvadiol left-back because you improve twice. But we don't know that they'll actually do that. 
the pro problems for Croatia we've mentioned before is that it's still the attack. It's still mm. a little bit reliant on the same one or two faces, but they've been really good at spreading the goals around. Like people from midfield contributing, they might score three or four goals in the game in like the Nations League, that kind of thing. And it'll be three or four different goal scorers. I think it was only maybe only Modric, maybe Pasalic as well, maybe got a couple out of the like 12 or so that they got. So they do a good job at making sure different people are always around, but nobody to absolutely guarantee them a goal. What what would be the front line now? Kramaric, Pasalic, Paris? Uh, Is Paris still playing for them? Yeah, Perisic will play on the wing, um, probably on the left side for them. And then on the right, it will be, I would assume, Vlasic, but it could be Lovren Meyer if they opt for a yes. little bit more sort of creative and inside sort of thing. Vlasic is much more intense, so he kind of has to filter out there. And then up front, it could be Levaya instead, but it's much of a muchness. I, I, if I was staking one billion pounds of somebody else's money, I would say that whoever starts up front for Croatia is subbed by about 65 minutes for the other one. He's either got a goal or five shots, or he's done nothing. I'd run about. Yeah, that's about it. Um, I will do predictions as we go this time, and won't forget. Mm-hmm. What is your What is your prediction for this one? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go one-one. I think Croatia Ooh. should win, but I just have a sneaky feeling Morocco might be a bit up for it, as they say. I'm going to go 2-1 Croatia, just because, yeah, I don't, I can't just hack him, Ziyech. I can't do that. He will obviously now score a hat-trick, going how my predictions went yesterday. Um, but moving on to the one o'clock kickoff, we have Germany against Japan. Probably this between this and the Belgian game for most fun of game of the day. Um, it's an interesting one because Germany, obviously, off the last World Cup, I can't even remember how they did in the Euros as well, which sums up how, how it did. Um, they've obviously not been in the best spell. Uh, Hansi Flicks came in, improved them seemingly, but it's not the easiest game to kind of announce yourself into a tournament, especially with a few injuries and stuff like that. And there's question marks who's playing up front. Do you go with Muller or, or do you go with Musiala, etc.? So I think this is a difficult one for Germany, but it's an important one at the same time. Yeah, I, I think this is a really, really interesting um, group as a whole, actually. But this this fixture, Germany-Japan, I could honestly see it going either way because I think Japan are going to go through from this group and I'm sticking with that. But I have been backwards and forwards over whether I think Germany or Spain go through about 300 times. So my, my, I think my World Cup predictions, I ended up going with uh, Spain going through with Japan. You did, yeah. The podcast that we did, yeah. But actually, at the minute, I kind of, looking at the Spain and train and the team lineup that they've been sort of looking at putting out, I kind of fancy Germany a bit more now. So I'm not really sure how this game is going to be. I think it will be a lot of fun. Like both of these teams, when they're on their game, the front four that they have all combined so, so well, really, really quick one-touch movement playing little triangles around the defenders. I could see this one being like a really, really high scoring game or at least high opportunities to score a game. Uh, I will just point out for the people who do follow these national teams, um, England knocked out Germany at the Euros, mate. Do you remember that one? No. Thomas Muller running through one-on-one in the last few minutes and put it wide. Oh, was that the Euro? I thought that was the World Cup. That was the Euros, mate. Last mm. 16, 2-0 to England. Uh, I thought the World Cup. Um, <laughs> shows, shows how much I support England. <laughs> uh, God, uh, I didn't put. I put in a WhatsApp group. Oh, I'm supporting Argentina, and then that bloody happened. Uh, <laughs> went well. Um, 
I maybe should start supporting England and stuff will happen. But anywho, uh, prediction for this one. How many goals is Matoma getting? Oh, God. I don't know. Actually, the, the predicted lineups that I saw from the um, Japanese local journalists didn't have him in the starting lineup. So I it's don't know disgusting. if you're going to absolutely kick off or what, you know. 5 0 Germany. <laughs> we'll see. I'm, I'm hoping uh, Dej Kamata plays. I think Kubo is going to start. And it looks like Taki Minamino is going to as well. But, you know, we'll see. These these people do not always get these things right. And or the manager might just decide last minute to do something completely wild. I think maybe the biggest decision out of all of these players is who plays the number nine role for Germany. Because it would have been Timo Werner, obviously. He's injured. Could be Sani in theory, but he's usually on the wing for them. Gnabry the same. Kai Havertz has not been in great form. So there's a suggestion that it might be Thomas Muller because Jamal Musiala is so good that you have to kind of get him in the team at number 10 now. So there's a big, big decision to have there. I'm going to go Germany win this one in the end, which is wildly different to my pre-tournament predictions, obviously. But I'm going to go for 3-1, I think. I was thinking 3-1 as well. Congrats, Japan, um, on winning. I don't know why I said Japan like um, It's late, people. Leave me alone. Moving on to Spain, Costa Rica. By my understanding of basically listening to you, Costa Rica are horrible to play against. <laughs> um, Spain have Alvaro Morata up front. Um, will anyone score? I'm going to say no. I think this is going to be one of those very, very classic Spain have 72% possession 18 shots, three on target. Morata has seven and doesn't hit the target at all. I like it. I like it. And they play two left-footed centre-backs, so they deserve it. Or they play Eric Garcia, which is worse. Um, <laughs> but, but yes, Spain, I, everyone knows my thoughts by now. Demon team. Um, we'll move on to the more interesting one, because I think we only have a few minutes left. Actually, actually we're basically over time anyway. But Belgium-Canada's worth a bit of overtime. Um, I know you like this Canadian team, and I think we kind of slagged off the wrong word, but Belgium is a tad over the hill. Yeah. Um, is this kind of young against old? Is that probably a good way to put it? Um, in bits. I mean, Atiba Hutchinson will probably line up centre mid for Canada, and I think he might be the oldest human left on the planet at this point. But sure. yeah, with, within reason. Out. Yeah, exactly. You've got to have a, a couple of older heads to steer these young terriers through. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing Canada play. I really am, just to see how they cope with you know being on the world stage and all the rest of it. If they if they line up with like a very offensive sort of three four three sort of system, Alfonso Davies is a wing back, probably be on the same side as Kyle Lahren, Jonathan David through the middle. There's lots of good outlets, good hold up play, link play should be really good. So I do think they'll give Belgium a really good game. Um, doesn't look like Romelu Lukaku is going to be fit to start, which immediately removes like one of the, the few elite pieces that this Belgium side do still have. Don't tell me Ben Teke is still the backup. Uh, I mean, I think it's going to be Mitchie Bachelet, he starts, to be honest. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, jeez. And then, and, then, and then he comes off at halftime and Divock Origi comes on. Is Origi in the squad? <laughs> no, he's not. Oh, jeez, I was going to they're, say. They're not, they're not that far down the list, don't worry. <laughs> oh, dearie me. We were two people away from Fellaini being a false nine there. Um, but without Lukaku, it doesn't really seem to click all that well, or to me anyway, or doesn't I mean, look as, as good. 
No, I mean, they've, they've got lots of options, obviously, because they have, first of all, Roberto Martinez in charge. So it's kind of a well, Graham sure. Potter, everyone can play everywhere sort of thing, you know. So it could be, yeah, it could be Torgan Hazard starts up front, or it could be Dries Merton starts, but he's probably there as an impact sub. It could be Eden Hazard plays as the false nine, for example. Oh, or, God. You know, or Kevin De Bruyne, who's played there for Man City before. So it could be anything yet. But again, we're going here off the, the Belgian uh, journalists who are sort of talking in the, in the lead up to the game. They've been saying in training, it looks like Michi Batshuayi is going to get the nod to start at least. So what are we looking for from Belgium? You're looking at that spine, really, where the, the world-classness does still reside. Thibaut Courtois in goal, very, very much elite. Mm-hmm. Centre-back, no, we'll skip that. We'll skip that. <laughs> um, and then De Bruyne through the middle with good players either side of him or you know behind him because they'll probably be the 3-4-3, three, three, very, very narrow sort of system. Tielemans has not been good for about eight months or so, but he does, sorry, he does come into the tournament in good form. You know, like the yeah. last maybe six weeks or so with Leicester, something like that, he has been much more involved, much better, much more involved in their final third play as well. So maybe it's good timing for him. Axel Witzel, if he starts alongside him in midfield, oh, God. I mean, that's fine. I don't, I don't mind Witzel, but he's been playing centre back for Atletico Madrid. That's he's fifty year old. Idea. Let him die. <laughs> so. Um, so yeah, there's there's again question marks over this team. Again, Thomas Munier is another one who may or may not be fit to start. Eden Hazard may start, but whether that means he's fit or not is anybody's guess at this point. He's not so, been fought, fit. Well, he has been fit. He's not been fit since he left Chelsea. <laughs> yeah. So like, there's there's lots of nearly really good players like Leandro Trossard. We've seen him be brilliant this season. Yeah. Unfortunately, far too close up for our liking. Uh, Amadou Anana could be involved. Yannick Carrasco could play wing back or off the front line. There's lots of options here for Belgium, but making it all click very, very quickly, I think is a difficult thing. And you can imagine, assuming Canada and their players don't like you know, freeze on the big stage, and I can't imagine there's really any reason why they would do, they've got to be massively up for this. This is historic for them. I think this will be a really difficult game for Belgium. Yeah, it seems like a very good opportunity for Canada. Uh, I, I didn't get my prediction for the last game. I'll, I'll go nil nil. No one nil. Brian Ruiz is scoring a free kick. Um, <laughs> let's go. Um, yeah, what's your prediction for this one? I don't know. I, I Belgium should win, but I really like some parts of this Canada team. I think they're going to give them a good scare. I'm going to go one one. Yeah, I want to see Alfonso Davies a bit more. Like who watches the who watches the Bundesliga? I want to see Alfonso Davies be free, do what he wants, play him as a winger where you where he's born to play. No, it's wing back stuff. Um, I oh God, I don't know. Kevin De Bruyne exists for Belgium, so I'll just go two yeah. one Belgium. <laughs> I think one of us should go for a Belgium win because it feels like that's the more natural thing to do. And I well, might yeah. well have been biased by today's early result and thinking now every <laughs> game has to go not according to plan. As soon as Australia scored, everyone was like, it's happening. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the big teams aren't ready, and they were. Um, but Bel- are Belgium a big team? That is the final question. But, Carl, we have done it, and we, well, we're only five minutes late, but look at us. Uh, anything to plug out of your millions of writings? Yes, the one a day. Um, what are we going for this time? On Wednesday, I will have a piece on Uruguay. They're playing on Thursday, so we're getting the pieces up like one day early because some of the games obviously are kicking off 
before people have settled in after their breakfasts and stuff. You know? mm-hmm. So Uruguay is the big piece. It's the regeneration of their team since that squad, which seemed to be exactly the same for like eight tournaments in a row. And I think that they're doing very, very well in terms of bringing through a lot of very, very high quality players. Might well make them out as my, um, what do we call them? Dark horses to win the tournament. I like it. Serbia and Uruguay. The fight for the dark horse. Let's go. I do like it. Um, But that will, well, we get to talk about Uruguay tomorrow. If it is me, if not, it will be Dave. And, well, he likes Uruguay as well. So that will be fun. But thank you, everyone, for listening. Don't know who's hosting next time, but we'll be here either way. But thank you, everyone. Goodbye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.